Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to Maximizing Outcomes with Jim McGovern. Jim, how are you? Eric, I'm doing great. we got a big topic for today's show. Well, I know you've got a big topic because you brought in an amazing guest, Elaine Floyd. We got a chance to speak a little bit before the podcast started, but I have no idea what she does. What are you guys talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about Social Security because, okay. like I said, this is a huge topic. This covers 96% of American workers. And the thing that I found throughout my career is most people give Social Security claiming strategies uh, very little thought until they're on the doorsteps of retirement. And that can really hurt people's yeah. retirement income. In fact, we've seen literally million-dollar mistakes being made based on how people are claiming Social Security, and we don't want our audience to be one of those people. Uh, you know, A lot of these decisions are based off of myths that people have heard or just a lack of information. And this system is far more complex than most people uh, presume it to be. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to sit back with the audience. Take it away. Thanks. All right. So I'd like to welcome Elaine Floyd, who is a certified financial planner, and she is the creator of Savvy Social Security for Boomers from a company called Horse's Mouth. So Elaine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, we're excited because you are literally the uh, foremost authority about Social Security planning. And I know that our audience is mostly you know, clients and, and folks that are uh, working with us on a daily basis, but we actually have a lot of financial advisors that are listening to our show. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the Savvy Social Security for Boomers program and how you got started with that? You know, I've always had an interest in Social Security. When I was a financial advisor in the 1980s, I was counseling uh, people who were around my age at the time, which was, you know, 30s and 40s and, um, you know, baby boomers, basically. And we were telling them then, um, you know, you better not count on Social Security. It's probably not going to be there when you retire. And that actually turned out to be pretty good advice because it, uh, you know, incentivized people to save for their own retirement. But, you know, here we are. And as I moved closer to my own retirement and I turned um, 62 in 2008, and that's the year I joined Horse's Mouth full time as a um, financial writer and educator. And um, we realized that financial advisors really didn't know a lot about Social Security because we had, you know, all been telling our clients not to count on it, realized that there really is a lot to it. And, and it's, as you say, much more complex than people realize. And once I started really studying the system, that's when I realized that it not only are the rules and the math complex in terms of deciding when to claim your benefits, there are so many rules surrounding um, auxiliary benefits, they call them, divorce spouse benefits, survivor benefits, and integrating these benefits into your own retirement is just a critical part of um, retirement planning. So Elaine, let's start off with the elephant in the room. And you already alluded to this a little bit earlier, which is, uh, is Social Security really going broke? Because that seems to be the common thought that people have is that this is definitely not going to be there for long. It's you know, we, we hear different things about Social Security running out of money. Is that really true? 
Okay, we can talk about what we know. And what we know is the trustees projection is that there is about $2.8 trillion in the Social Security Trust Fund right now. Between the ongoing payroll taxes and the drawdown of that trust fund, the system will be able to pay full benefits till um, 2035. And if there are no changes to the system, then benefits will be cut across the board by 20%. So that is what we know. Now, it has always been presumed that the that Congress will act, that Congress will do something to revise the system to you know, restore solvency sometime before 2035. Um, the last time this happened was in 1983. They did act like just in time. <laughs> the system was in within months of not being able to pay full benefits. And Congress came through with you know legislation to restore solvency to the system. Well, here we are again, although we're not there yet. And that's the thing. The, the uh, projected exhaust date is 2035, which, you know, in Congress's mind, that's a long way off. And so um, what, we're think what we think is that Congress will act in time to restore solvency. But of course, nobody can predict exactly what Congress will do. Oh, of course. And, and when you say um, you know, solvency, that they may not be able to pay uh, full benefits, is there an estimate of how much of the benefits they think they could pay based on what's yeah. in the trust fund now? Yeah, it's there. There's if if it were an across the board cut, it would be twenty percent, and so everybody's benefit would be reduced by twenty percent. We're not really counting on that. We are thinking that Congress will act in time to restore full benefits. But you know, here's the other thing: if people are basing their claiming strategy based on this fear that the system will go broke they could be only hurting themselves because they, if, for example, if someone is age 62 and that's the earliest age you can claim social security benefits, if you say, uh, you know, I better take what I can now because the system is going broke, you will be locking in a benefit that is about, you know, 70% of what you would get at full retirement age or even less if you were to wait until age 70. So you're locking in a significantly reduced benefit and that is a risk to you you know, it, what if the system doesn't go broke right. and then you end up with this, you know, permanently reduced benefit. Right. And if you live, I mean, there's people more and more that are living into their late nineties, even crossing the age of a hundred. And that's a long time to be going with a, with a significant pay cut like that. Absolutely. Are there and some the other, things that I'm sorry, go ahead. The other <laughs> thing is that, um, you know, we're realizing more and more the value of social security as lifetime inflation adjusted income it is the highest quality income you can get it's you know it's it's protected it is um lifetime it lasts as long as you do it is uh, you know goes up with the cost of living and it's a very high high quality source of retirement income and so our position is that we want to maximize that income to the extent possible course. I mean, right now, inflation's all over the news. I mean, people are, are, are hearing about it every day and they're, they're feeling the, the pain of inflation right now. And, you know, unlike you know, pension plans that don't typically have a uh, an inflation adjustment, I mean, most people who are enjoying a pension really value that paycheck each month. So to get another payment like this that does go up with inflation is, is huge. So when someone's trying to figure out their their retirement income from Social Security, how is that income determined? So it's really a brilliant um, 
formula that they came up with. So first of all, it is based on your highest 35 years of earnings. And this is one reason why we like to talk to younger people about Social Security as well. It's not just for people who are on the brink of claiming. Um, people need to understand all throughout their careers when they're thinking about, you know, their own earnings and whether or not to take a sabbatical, whether or not to, you know, just stop working and retire early, any of those things, they need to understand that they will be, you know, cutting into that eventual social security income. The maximum benefit that you can get is if you work for 35 years and earn the maximum um, taxable wage base, which this year is $147,000 a year. Um, so that goes up every year. But if you, to, if you really want to maximize your social security when you're starting out in your career, you might aim to earn as much as that uh, wage base all throughout your career. So the maximizing social security starts with your own earnings. And then the, uh, the social security system applies a formula to those earnings. So they index your earnings to bring them up to, you know, today's level so that those earnings, you know, if you earned, you know, $30,000 a year back in the day, um, it would it would count for more today. So those indexers, those earnings are indexed and then a three-tier formula is applied. It's rather complicated, but once the formula is applied, it gives greater weight to your first tier of earnings so that each extra dollar of earnings that you have in addition to, you know, once you've reached that maximum wage base counts for less. But the point is that your social security benefit is based on your earnings and the higher your earnings, the higher your benefit will be. So if somebody maybe early in their career, their income was significantly lower, or maybe they took time out of the workforce, uh, maybe for a period of time either to uh, you know, raise children, or maybe they, they had a health issue, they're out of the workforce for a while. How much of an impact can that have on their Social Security paycheck? You know, it can have a significant effect. And I have actually run the numbers for this for a, a number of hypothetical situations. So we have two people coming to us, two types of people coming to us asking how that how can they improve their benefit? And the first uh, group are the, the people who have had maximum earnings. And we always have to tell them, well, yes, you can improve your benefit by continuing to work, but it will be, you know, sort of diminishing returns because you already have, you know, a full complete maximum earnings record. So people who already have maximum earnings, if they're wondering if they should continue to work until age 70, the, the numbers that I've run show that you can improve your benefit by maybe, hmm. 30 to $50 a month by continuing to work. But if you have significant gaps in your earnings record, like I did, you know, when early in my career, I stayed home with my kids and I was a freelance writer for a number of years with low earnings. So I am continuing to improve my earnings record and my benefit goes up every year. So for these people, um, in some of the illustrations that we've run, it shows that you can improve your benefit by as much as four or $500 a month by continuing to work and just boosting your earnings in those later years. Wow. That's a big difference. Plus it's, it's not just that extra four to 500 a month, but it's, it's that times how many years you live plus the inflation adjustments. So that could be a pretty big deal. So is it, does it work this straightforward where, you know, if you have maybe years earlier in your career where you made hardly anything, and now your, your peak earnings years, do those later years knock out those earlier years completely? 
They do. So they they look at only the the highest 35 years of earnings. And so if you have some zeros on your record from, you know, early in your career and you replace those earnings with, um, you know, higher earnings today, then you are literally replacing earnings for let's look at an example. Let's say you've got somebody with um, 25 years of earnings. So there what social security will do is index each years of each year of earnings total the earnings and divide that total by 420 420 is the number of months in 35 years so basically all of those zeros those 10 years of zeros are are being counted as zeros but if you continue to work and you replace those zeros, then that's how your benefit is boosted. It just boosts that average. It's it's quite dramatic when you see the numbers. And unfortunately, you know, most people aren't aware of this. They don't see this, um, but it really does have an impact. So that leads me to my next question, which is just thinking about, okay, you, you put in all the, all the years of working and people are starting to look at the finish line. They're going, wow, I've been painting this thing forever. I'm um, getting to that point where I can claim. Uh, what What's the age when someone can start to claim Social Security? So they can start a reduced retirement at age 62. And uh, when I say reduced, th that is off of the full retirement age amount. So full retirement age, as defined by Social Security for people born uh, in 1960 or later, is 67. So that age honestly today doesn't have a lot of significance other than a, you know, a few rules such as the earnings test. So when Social Security presents you with your benefit estimate, they will show you what you are expected to receive if you apply for your benefit at your full retirement age at 67. If you apply earlier than age 67, say you apply at 62, then they reduce it from there. They reduce it down to 70%. Uh, or if you re if you claim it later than 67, if you all the way up to 70, then you get 8% annual delayed credits. Your benefit is increased by 8% per year after full retirement age. So when you really look at the span from the earliest age of 62 to the latest age of 70, there is a dramatic difference in your benefit amount. And then as you mentioned, as you carry that out over your lifetime, and especially if you have a long lifetime, <laughs> um, and that's the other thing that we like to say, one of the, in, in addition to increasing your earnings, the second best way to maximize your benefit is to live a really long time. And that's, you know, you'll get more benefits from the system that way. So most people I talk to that are I would say in their late fifties, uh, and they're they're starting to think about social security planning. I'm not sure what you found, Elaine, but what I see is that almost everybody says, "I want to claim this as soon as I possibly can." And is that really the most efficient decision? Because some of the logic that people apply to that is, "I just want to start getting paid right away." But what what do you see, and and is that really efficient to take social security at a young age? It's not. <laughs> Quite simply, <laughs> thank it's you for not. being blunt. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so sure, people like the bird in the hand, and there are all kinds of reasons why people like to take their benefits early. You know, I want to, I want to have, the, I want to get the money while I can enjoy it, or you know, how, who knows how long I'm going to live. There are all kinds of reasons, and you know, most people. Uh, I wouldn't say most people, I think it's somewhere around 30 some percent of people do claim their benefit at 62. Since I've been in this business and after since I created this program and the math 
is a huge part of you know, analyzing the social security claiming decision, looking, taking that starting benefit and running it out over a lifetime with cost of living adjustments and with the delayed credits after full retirement age, the the differences are just unbelievably dramatic. I mean, I just wish I could um, show people, you know, what the difference is. I, for myself, uh, claimed my benefit at 70. And, um, you know, this last cost of living adjustment was a nice little pop for me. So, you know, the higher your benefit is, the higher those cost of living adjustments are going to be. And, you know, I just have, well, I have high hopes for living a long life, but if I don't, I consider this longevity insurance just in case I do live a long life. That's a great way of looking at it. Um, you know, longevity insurance, because it is, I mean, it's guaranteed, it's inflation adjusted, lasts forever. Um, but what about this thought? Some people have said that, you know, I, I'm going to take it at age 62. I'm going to keep working though. And I'm going to take that income I'm getting from social security. And I'm going to invest that myself and hopefully grow my retirement portfolio. So by the time I'm ready to fully retire, I have more money. Does that math really work out well? Well, the, the keep working part doesn't work out very well because between age 62 and full retirement age, there is that retirement earnings test. So if you earn more than the threshold, which is going up to about $21,000 next year, um, they withhold, you know, $2, uh, $1 for every $2 you earn over that threshold amount. And the rationale from Social Security's side is you're not really retired, so you don't really need this income. So that is one of the issues for somebody who is, you know, claiming at 62 and continuing to work. Um, there are other people who retire early, lucky enough to be able to retire early, and they say, well, I want to claim my benefit at 62. And, you know, even though I have other assets and I don't really need the income, you know, I'd rather not draw on that income right now. I'd rather just take the Social Security income and live off of that or alternatively, you know, invest the Social Security income and live off my other assets. The only thing about that um, logic or that argument is that you don't know what those investments will do. The scheduled increase in the social security benefit by delaying claiming is a sure thing. Your investments <laughs> are not a sure thing. And if you were to apply the equivalent uh, risk level to, you know, what the, the same risk of the social security scheduled increase, which is, you know, essentially risk-free, and compare that to a, an equivalent risk-free investment, it's it's basically a wash. So, and, and just to make sure we have the math straight, because I mean this this just came out you know, the other day. Landon and I traded a couple of emails about this. That you know they announced this this very large inflation adjustment, and for every year that you wait, are you getting both the inflation adjustment and the delayed credit adjustment? So yes, yeah, those two together is that the equivalent return? Yes. It is. And, and it really does surprise people. They are they are flabbergasted that um, they get both the delayed credits and the inflation adjustment. And we're seeing benefits now for maximum earners, starting benefits at age 70, around forty two, forty three hundred dollars a month. Wow. And, yeah. It's a lot of money. It is. Especially, you know, you said risk free money. Yeah. 
So that brings up another point. What about people who are married and they're looking at spousal benefits? Can you talk a little bit about what spousal benefits are and, and how they work? Yeah. So a spousal benefit. So back in 1939, the Social Security Administration introduced spousal benefits as a way to give non-working wives, and they were almost always women, um, a benefit equal to half of their husband's benefit. And they actually called it a wife's benefit back then. <laughs> now it's called a spousal benefit, and it still applies if either spouse is a low earner, that spouse can receive half, 50% of the other spouse's uh, benefit as a spousal benefit. Now, there are all kinds of things that we can do with spousal benefits from a strategy, from a claiming strategy standpoint. Um, now, it used to be, well, I won't really even talk about the rules because they've changed <laughs> about claiming a spousal before your own. But, um, but the other thing is that most uh, wives do work today. Most uh, spouses, you know, mo most couples have their own respective social security benefit. And so when you're looking at spousal strategies, you really have to look at uh, each spouse's respective benefit is are they relatively equal? Is one spouse's benefit much lower because that spouse didn't work as much? And sometimes a, a, a very viable strategy for couples is for the lower earning spouse to claim at 62 and then the higher earning spouse to claim at 70. And that way it starts the income early, a little bit of income early, uh, which people like, of course, uh, yet it preserves that highest benefit uh, by the higher earner and allows that benefit to grow. So this leads me to just thinking about different claiming strategies, which I mentioned at the top of the show. And uh, it's complicated. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to this. I mean, how many different combinations of ways does somebody have to claim social security? <laughs> so if many. If we had to put a number on it. <laughs> <laughs> so many. We have, a, so we have a calculator uh, that this is one of the uh, tools that we offer financial advisors where they can put in each spouse's birth date, life expectancy, and primary insurance amount. And the calculator will um, uh, put out a um, series of claiming strategies uh, and then it will show the lifetime benefits for each claiming strategy. So first of all, it gets into the millions. If you've got a, a high earning couple with a you know reasonably long life expectancy, we're not talking 100 here. We're talking you know maybe late 80s, early 90s. They together over their lifetime will receive over two million dollars in mm. Social Security benefits. So that you know to begin with kind of um, blows people away. And I forgot the rest of your question. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just thinking about just the number of different variations, you know, combinations of, you know, should the, um, you know, should the, the main income earner delay claiming until 70? What about 68? What about age 67? And, and what about the spouse? And just looking at all these different numbers, it's almost like when you go into a coffee shop, there's literally tens of thousands of different variations of what you could order. And social security is it the same? Are there, are there tens of thousands of different combinations of ways you could be analyzing this? There are. Um, and, you know, the, we've produced these calculators that uh, will show people their, you know, uh, the math of it all, shall we say. And at the top, when you run our calculator analysis, this is for financial advisors who run it for their clients. And it will show at the top that the calculator considered, you know, 
8,000 claiming scenarios in 1.5 seconds or something. Now, when it talks about, you know, 8,000 claiming scenarios, it's going month by month. So like every month after age 62, you know, you could do it in January, February, March, that sort of thing. So it, it you know, it's, Yes, there are many, many claiming scenarios, but, you know, we try to distill it all down and try to keep it, you know, relatively simple. But I will say, too, that when you start integrating those auxiliary benefits for someone and many, many clients now have, you know, are widowed, they are eligible for survivor benefits, they may be divorced and eligible for a divorced spouse benefit. So when you start integrating those other benefits with the with the person's own retirement benefit, that's when it gets complicated. And, you know, that's a huge part of our training program for financial advisors as well. Well, let's talk a little bit about those, uh, like the widow benefits first, and we'll talk about uh, divorced uh, spouse benefits as well, because I think that's also important. Uh, you know, I guess there's there's two different sides of this. One would be, you know, if somebody's already receiving Social Security income and then their spouse passes away, what happens then? So if their spouse's benefit was higher than their own, they can switch to that benefit. So this is a very, very typical situation today. You have a husband and wife, the husband is the higher earner, and they're both, say, in their 80s, and they're both receiving their respective Social Security benefit. His is higher, hers is lower. Um, he dies, her benefit stops, and she switches over to his higher amount as her survivor benefit. Now, this is... Um, one of the most important things to keep in mind when a couple is claiming social security, and it is the amount of that survivor benefit. So we strongly recommend that for every married couple, the higher earning spouse claim at 70. That maximizes the higher benefit between the two of them. And then whichever spouse lives longer, that higher benefit will be preserved and will continue. Because I think a lot of people think that, you know, the higher earner spouse, when they die, that check's gone. And it's, well, it's true. You're going to lose out on one of the checks, but you're keeping the higher of the two. Yes. Which is important. Yes. What about, what about if somebody's uh, spouse, you know, predeceases them and it happens before they started taking social security? Is it the same rules? So, yeah, if, and this is a very common question. So we encourage our high earning spouses to delay their benefit to age 70. And their first question is, well, what if I die before I reach age 70? Well, what will happen then is the survivor benefit will include the delayed credits um, earned on that benefit up until the, the date of death. So if he dies at 68, say, it'll include a year or two of, of delayed credits. Excellent. Yeah. What about somebody who uh, got divorced, you know, maybe many years before they were even eligible for Social Security? Uh, how does the system treat divorced spouses? So if you have been if you were married over 10 years, then you become eligible for a, a divorced spouse benefit or a divorced spouse survivor benefit based on your prior husband's work record. Now, <clears throat> I'll just say in real life, most uh we'll use, let's say that it's the woman here who is divorced. Most women will, would continue to work. You know, they get, they get, they're married, they get divorced. This is my situation. Uh, they continue to work. So they're, uh, they, they, um, uh, build a significant benefit for themselves, which is uh, greater than half of their ex's benefit. So in most cases, they would not be eligible for a divorced spouse benefit, but 
when that spouse dies, that uh, that then they are eligible for 100% of the ex's benefit, and that could very well be higher than their own. So we always say to people, and I'm kind of on my soapbox these days, for ev to everybody who has been divorced after being married 10 years, keep tabs on your ex. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, so you'll know if and when he dies, and you can go in and apply for that divorced spouse survivor benefit. So what about the uh, situation where you know, a couple gets divorced and you know they want, let's say the higher earner uh, gets remarried? Does that impact the higher earner's benefit? No, it doesn't at all. And um, yeah, but both the higher earner's new spouse and the ex-spouse, you know, if they were married over 10 years, can draw off of his record. Interesting. So it's almost like a almost like a double benefit when you think about it. Yeah, it is. But believe me, there aren't enough of these situations to make the system go broke. <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, one last question about about the system again, because it's uh, I, I know it's in the back of people's minds and they, they see that statement and used to feel like 2035 was so far away. But it's it's in our eyes, it's not that far down the road. Are there things that the government can do that are already being proposed to shore up this program for future generations that would easily maintain the solvency of the program? Yeah, it, it's it's very easy. I mean, it is a math problem. They either raise payroll taxes or they reduce benefits in one way or another. And there are different ways that that can be done. There are a number of proposals that have been put forth. Um, unfortunately, the proposals usually, you know, get referred to committee and never come out of the committee. Um, but they're definitely, they're working on it. People are working on it. Um, it's just that, as we know, Congress is so divided today and they have so much work to do that, you know, they're, they, they're dealing with more pressing matters, frankly. And to them, 2035 seems like a long way off. Is it safe to say that this program is is not only so large, but it's so important to so many people that it would be really difficult for them to get rid of this program. Was that is that a safe thing to say? I think that's pretty safe. I don't think anybody wants to run on either side of the aisle on a ticket that says we're going to wipe out this thing. That, I don't think it's a way, very good way to get votes. But <laughs> right. Uh, so so basically, I mean, by by raising the amount of income that's eligible to be taxed for Social Security, maybe younger generations pushing that age back a little bit. Uh, what about even things like how that that trust fund is invested? Are there things they could do there to maybe because isn't the money all sitting basically in treasury securities? It is. And of course, these days uh, they're earning a little bit more interest than they were in the past. Um, it is. It's by law that the trust fund does have to be invested in U.S. Treasury securities. And that is one of the you know proposals that has has been brought forth, that perhaps that money could be better invested in the stock market or some, some other sort of type of instrument. Um, but right. honestly, that uh, proposal is pretty far down on the list of of ways to improve the system. All right, but there at least are are solvable ways to to create solutions for this. This isn't like a a problem; it's impossible to to fix. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Lane, this has been great. Any other parting words of wisdom that you could have for our audience, or anything, any other recommendations that you'd have for people? Just you know, the points that I really like to drive home are number one, higher earning spouse claim at 70 to maximize that survivor benefit for the surviving spouse. And number two, consider 
auxiliary benefits. If you are widowed or divorced, um, you know, consider other benefits that you might be entitled to. Excellent. Well, Lane, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, our audience really appreciate it. I, I appreciate it deeply. And uh, I know this is going to help a lot of people. So I guess in summary, before I turn this back over to Eric, I just want everybody to think that you really do pay a small fortune into the social security program over your lifetime. And there is a lot of money at stake when it comes to your claiming decisions. And you really do need to have a personalized social security claiming analysis to see how your benefits are going to fit into your overall financial plan. So if you want to have a custom analysis of your social security planning options, just reach out to us. You can either email us at info at mcgovernwealth.com or you can go to our website, which is www.mcgovernwealth.com and there's a contact us form. And uh, you know, we've got a lot of resources. We've got white papers, we've got webinars, we've got calculators. So you really don't have to make this decision by yourself. So with that, Eric, let me turn it back over to you. All right, Elaine, thank you so much for being on the show. What a wealth of information. Um, I learned a few things today. So I, I do appreciate your time coming onto the show. And Jim, of course, you are the one that facilitates this show and runs it. Thank you so much for bringing on another wonderful guest. Uh, and our last thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast with Jim McGovern. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Jim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you for listening today. For everyone at McGovern Wealth Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number. 0F67329. AR Insurance License Number 7119103. California Insurance License Number 0F67329. Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103. Compliance Number 2022 145424 expires October 2024.